Lovely to be here with you. I'm Nathaniel, as it's already been said. I'm one of the pastors here at Riverside, and today we're going to be continuing our series looking at what are we waiting for as we kind of stay in this season of waiting, this season of Advent, getting ready for all that leads up to Christmas. And in a moment, we are going to uh, look at the Bible. So if you do have a Bible with you or if you have a Bible app on your phone, I'd love you to get that out and turn to Luke chapter 1, because that's the chapter that we're going to be focusing on today. And we're going to be kind of jumping around the story within that. So Luke chapter 1 is where we're going to be. We're going to be looking at our attitude in the waiting as we explore some of the characters within this chapter. But before we do that, I, I wonder if um, you notice anything different about me today. And if you were in services earlier today, you're not allowed to say anything. But anyone notice anything different? It's not a haircut. I've not had a haircut yet. I need one, but I've not had one yet. I will, I will let you know what it is. Um, this past Tuesday, I officially became a British citizen. Come on. Come on. Let's sing all together. Uh, God say... We're not, no, we're not really doing that. We're not going to do that, but I genuinely am really thankful because this has been uh, 11 years I've waited for this moment. Uh, so finally, finally it came. Uh, after numerous visa application processes, lots of expenses, lots of stressful appointments, emails, and things, I can finally rest in the security that this is a country I can stay in. And I recognize that that's a massive, massive privilege. So I am very, very thankful, and I get to vote. Yay, democracy. Come on. Come on. Um, of course, I will also continue to enjoy other quintessential British things like queuing and uh, talking about the weather and fish and chips on a Friday uh, and other things like sarcasm, cynicism and self-deprecation, which I'm sure I'm going to be rubbish at. <laughs> but my journey, my journey took me 11 years However, last week, Sarah mentioned uh, how the journey of waiting for God's promises to be fulfilled, waiting in that gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament took a lot longer than 11 years. It took 400 years of waiting, 400 years of silence without hearing from God until we get to this opening chapter in, in Luke. That's after that 400-year gap where we see the events that took place in the lead-up to the birth of Jesus. And so it's lots going on in this chapter. There's angels that show up. There's people being struck mute. There's people rushing across the land to share news with their cousin. And, and there's lots of things happening. So I just wanted to help keep us clear who was who, what was going on with this little diagram thingy that I made on the screen. That one. Perfect. Um, so this is just kind of a little uh, thing that will help us. Basically, these are the characters we need to know who they are. We've got Zechariah and Elizabeth. They're married, and their son-to-be is John the Baptist, who is a significant character in all of the Gospels, plays a really important role. Uh, and then the cousin of Elizabeth is Mary, and Mary is the mother of Jesus, who is the Son of God as well. And then you have the angel Gabriel. We're going to talk a little bit about the angel as well uh, and what... The angel's role is in all of this. So these are the characters we're going to look at, and we're going to kind of, as we follow Luke's investigations, it's really helpful because he gives us more insights into the infancy, the period of childhood and birth around Jesus than any of the other Gospels. So it's really helpful to look into that, especially in the lead up to Christmas. Before we talk about Mary and Elizabeth's interaction, which Chris read for us so brilliantly from the Bible just a second ago, I want to jump back a little bit in the story, and I want to talk about Zechariah. Elizabeth's husband, and Mary. And I want to compare and talk about how they responded to the angel's message from God. 
So we're going to start with Zechariah, which is Luke 1, 5 to 25. I'm just going to give kind of a summarized version of what is going on in this part of the story. Zechariah was a priest. Both him and his wife Elizabeth were well advanced in years. And what that means for that time is that they were at least 60 years old, if not older. So not that old, right? Amen. Come on. Um, <laughs> he, so Zechariah was chosen to go to the temple to burn incense. This was probably a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity as they kind of all did their priestly rotations. So this would have been kind of his one moment to do that. And as he's in the temple, an, an angel appears to Zechariah. And Zechariah is like, ah! And the angel Gabriel says, do not be afraid. The classic angel catchphrase to say, do not be afraid. And he goes on to tell Zechariah uh, that his prayers have been heard. He will have a son. They will name him John. And he will go before the Lord to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah says, how can I be sure of this? Because him and his wife Elizabeth are old. He's basically saying, prove it. I don't believe you. Gabriel says that because Zechariah didn't believe his words, he will not be able to speak until these words come true. Okay, that's what goes on in this part of the story. Let's unpack that a little bit. In their old age, Zechariah and Elizabeth have had no children of their own. And Luke here is trying to remind us of another couple that it references in another part of the Bible being old and having no children of their own. This is a couple that features at the very beginning of the Bible, and it's a really important couple. It's Abraham and Sarah. Right in the first book of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, Abraham and Sarah are said to be old and they have no children of their own. And so as Luke is writing this, it, it's like a throwback. It's kind of reminding us of this couple as well, because actually um, these are the great ancestors of God's people. Okay, And when God stepped in and gave them a child in their old, in their old age, he was basically starting something really huge, and it's the whole launch pad for the story of the people of Israel. So when we see a repetition here in the New Testament, in the story of Luke, it's almost like it's saying, once again, God is about to do something hugely significant as he steps in and, and it, with the story with Zechariah and Elizabeth. In those times, not being able to have a child was one of the worst things that could happen to someone, especially a married woman. All too often, these women would be shunned in society. They would be despised. They would be looked down upon. And so surely with Zechariah and Elizabeth both being people of faith, this would have been something, an aspect of prayer that they would have brought before God on a regular basis. Now, on top of that, in his role as a priest, Zechariah probably would have kept his prayers a little bit more formal, maybe left out some of the personal matters. And his prayers would have been about seeing the people of Israel brought back to the Lord their God. He would have been praying for, for answers to God's promises. But here's the thing. Uh, being a priest after 400 years of silence from, from God, his whole working life, he would have seen no breakthrough at all. No message from God no kind of speaking into any of what they're doing. And surely over time, he would have grown weary, tired of hoping and praying that God would do something. We know that hope deferred makes the heart sick. It says in Proverbs 13 verse 12. So you kind of have this general weariness on behalf of all of God's people, but also the burden of not being able to have biological children. And it would be totally understandable if Zechariah and Elizabeth may have given up a little bit of hope each year as they grew older that they would ever have a child. But they stayed faithful 
and upright in the eyes of God, despite continuous waiting and disappointment and heartache. So amazing faith from them. Now, when the angel says, your prayers have been heard, in a way, it was about both of these prayers. It's for the restoration of God's people and the prayers for a child. However, his response, Zechariah's response to the angel shows that whilst he was faithful, he had grown cynical. And the cynicism had worn away at his hope. Zechariah knew the promises of the Old Testament in his head. He knew what they were, but he couldn't hold on to them in his heart. And so he asked for more confirmation. He asked for proof. Let's talk about cynical or cynicism for a minute. Cynical, being cynical is defined as not trusting or respecting the goodness of other people and their actions, but believing that people are interested only in themselves. And this also can apply to the way that we view God. But for Zechariah, cynicism had crept in, and the trouble with cynicism is that cynicism kills hope. I'm sure for most of us here, we have been hurt or disappointed in one way or another in our life. And for those of us who have waited and waited for something, maybe you've had a family member or a close friend you've been praying for for years, decades, praying that they would know Jesus, praying for healing. Maybe you've had dreams about a certain avenue, or maybe you've been praying or or waiting for something new in your life, and you feel that you've just been stuck in this season of waiting. It's very easy for cynicism to creep in. And this is where we got to with Zechariah in his encounter with the angel Gabriel. Okay, let's jump to the next event. Because when Elizabeth was six months pregnant, Mary is visited by the exact same angel, Angel Gabriel. She's troubled by the angel, and Gabriel says, do not be afraid, exactly, angel catchphrase. And then the angel tells her that she will give birth to Jesus, the Son of God. Now, Mary had a question too, but her request was not for a sign or for proof. She just asks for clarification so that she can best cooperate with the purposes of God. She says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel explains and then says that no word from God will ever fail. Mary's response is, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word. Okay quite different responses from Zechariah and from Mary. And I want to compare the two of them side by side because the way they respond really is quite a contrast. So let's look at the two of them. Zechariah was a man. Mary was a woman. Zechariah was old. Mary was young. Zechariah was married. Mary was a virgin. Zechariah doubted the angel's message and Mary believed. And I have a feeling Like there might be an argument brewing within you now about this because it's an argument that I thought of as well that I was holding on to because you might be thinking, well, of course Mary believed. She's young. She doesn't know. She hasn't had the experience of life. She hasn't had the the years of waiting, the years of disappointment weigh on her. She doesn't know how hard life can be. She's only a teenager. So really this comparison is a bit unfair. And you know what? It is unfair. And you know why? Life's not fair. God never promised that life would be fair. This is a broken world that we live in, not the way that God intended it to be. So even though God is a just and fair God, life on this earth is not fair. God didn't promise that, but you know what God did promise? God promised that he would be with us. God promised that he would forgive us when we mess up. 
God promised that uh, because of what Jesus did, we can have relationship with him. Those who believe in him can have eternal life with God because Jesus overcame death. These are promises that God did make. And Jesus encourages us to take on this childlike faith, just like that of Mary's. But how many of us have had our childlike faith and trust eroded, eroded over time, just like Zechariah? For me, and this journey towards becoming a British citizen, there were some really tricky times over the last decade where I had to kind of painfully wait and wait with disappointment being unsettled as I waited for the verdict on my immigration status or on my visas and things like that. There were times where I cried, times where I was anxious, times where I was just exhausted just with the meticulous processes and applications and all these things. I know for certain that God was teaching me and God was growing within me a compassion for immigrants, for refugees, for those classes, foreigners. I know that. But still, there were times when I asked God, why can't it be a little bit easier? Please. Please. There were times when I was stressed and therefore short with other people, where I was rude in my interactions because I let my feelings affect my outward behavior. Times where I didn't want to wait patiently and trust in God's timing. Times where I wanted to shout at God and tell him to do things according to my schedule. Was I following God in those times? I think so. I was trying to. Does God want what is best for me? Yes. I know this because of Romans 8, 28. Is God a good God who cares about me and loves me? Yes. I know this because of Psalm 34, verse 8. Is God's timing perfect and better than mine could ever be? Yes. You can see in Lamentations 3, 25 and 26, it says, The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. To the one who seeks him, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. These promises that I hold on to, they don't always make the waiting easier. But you know, I'd much rather be waiting whilst knowing Jesus than be waiting all alone. But even still, in our current society, it can be really tricky to avoid cynicism. A few weeks ago, I think it might be about a month and a half actually, in our previous series, there was a question on the blog that we kind of are given as in our life groups. And the question was, do you trust people now more than you did five years ago? And everyone in our life group, apart from one person, said no, myself included. Why is that? You know, is that about the government? Is that about friends, loved ones, systems that are broken? Maybe it's about God. What's happened there? And as we grow older and life happens around us, do we fall into this pattern, into these rhythms of being cynical with things around us? The comedian, writer, and TV host Stephen Colbert says these words, Cynicism masquerades as wisdom, but it is the farthest thing from it because cynics don't learn anything. Because cynicism is a self-imposed blindness, a rejection of the world because we are afraid it will hurt us or disappoint us. One of the more well-known cynics in the gospel is one of Jesus' disciples, Thomas, also known as Doubting Thomas. What a crazy nickname to have. And at the end of the book of John, even though the other disciples have seen with their own eyes the resurrected Jesus, Thomas hasn't. And he says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. When Jesus died, 
Thomas gave up hope. The Messiah, the one who was here to save them, was gone, was dead. What's there to hope in? And even when his friends told him that they had seen the risen Jesus, he didn't believe it. He was skeptical. He needed proof. His waiting had turned to cynicism. So what does Jesus do? Well, Jesus shows up and invites Thomas to do exactly what he asked for, to physically and visually check the scars of Jesus. And then Jesus tells him to stop doubting and believe, and Thomas does. But then Jesus says, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I want to just clarify that cynicism is completely different from being inquisitive. Okay, being inquisitive is a wonderful thing. Asking questions. Please never stop asking questions. We love questions. Ask more questions, okay? Jesus asks loads of questions throughout his ministry. We can also keep asking questions. Don't just believe it because I say it. Ask questions. We never want to stop. Questions help us deepen our relationship with Jesus. Questions help us sharpen our faith in what we truly believe, okay? So always, always keep asking questions. However, We are called to trust in the promises of God. The angel Gabriel said, no word from God will ever fail. We hold on to that even when God's timing doesn't fit with our preference or when we feel that we're in a season of waiting. Over the past few months, we've been sharing stories from people within our church family, hearing kind of about their encounters with Jesus. And we're going to hear from Chris Traxton now. So let's take a look at Chris's story. Hi. My name's Chris, Chris Traxon. Um, There's quite a few people at Riverside that I'm not familiar with because I've been out of action for about a year. So I might seem strange to many of you. I'm somebody who's always loved life's adventures and been to all sorts of places, had all sorts of journeys. In fact, Judy often says I could do a box set, but for the time being, this is going to be series seven, but I haven't done the other previous six series, episode one. Um, As I've said, I love journeys, and this year I've been on a long journey for about a year. Um, It's been more like a sabbatical than a journey. But it is like a journey in that there's been a new culture, um, a new language, all sorts of new things to learn since I've been diagnosed with cancer and had a lot of surgery and chemotherapy for the last 12 months. There are some lessons that I've learned, particularly this year, that I thought I would share with you. I've always felt that I've had quite a thankful heart and I'm just really grateful that I found Jesus and um, that I became a Christian. But um, I know that many people kind of thank God for the good things But I think it's really, really important to thank God for the things that don't seem good 
the things that maybe seem like punishments or seem harsh or illness, all those sorts of things. Um, but if you do manage to thank God for the hard times, then I think he turns it and twists it and makes good come out of that and makes you a stronger person because of that. I also think that um, like when different things face you, you never know what's around the corner. And it's good to be able to learn to roll with whatever's happening and not kick against it, not use all that energy and strife in a negative way, but um, be accepting of the situations that you find yourself in and try and turn those to good advantage. The most important thing for me that um, I've experienced this year is to feel that whatever has happened and there's been some horrible times and some difficult times but that Jesus has always been just one tiny step ahead of me just leading me through things and I'm really grateful for that I feel that this year has really taught me that I am loved and that if you can tap into the love and accept and just relish that love that you have from God that it gives you a power and a strength. I'm very grateful to everybody who's supported me, who's done all sorts of different things to help me, giving me lifts and food and all kinds of things. Um, but I'd particularly like to mention um, the kids, the teenagers um, that have prayed for me, lifted me up and I've felt so supported by the whole church and from my family and from my friends and I'm so very, very grateful for that. big thank you to Chris for sharing that story and just an incredible testimony of gratitude even amongst some really, really big challenges in her life. Now, Chris mentioned just the incredible amount of support that she felt from the church family, from people beyond that as well. And I wonder for you, if you have a think for just a moment, who is someone who you run to when you have good news to share? Who's the first person that comes to your mind? Another question for you. Do you regularly share with other people what you are grateful for, what you're thankful for? I know that we did at the start of the service, which is brilliant. It's a really lovely discipline to, to share what you're thankful for with other people. 
Well, we're going to look at someone now who did run to share some good news because we've already looked in Luke chapter 1 at Zachariah's encounter with the angel and the promise of a son. We've seen Mary promise the birth of Jesus, the Son of God. Now we reach the point where Mary has run. I assume that she ran because it was a long distance. She just traveled across this land uh, to, to encounter her cousin, Elizabeth, who was six months pregnant at this point. And I like to imagine that Elizabeth was really glad that Mary came because at this point, Zachariah still would not have been able to speak. So she's probably like, oh, finally, someone I can have a conversation with. That's so good. Um, <clears throat> so as Mary enters the home, she greets Elizabeth and John the Baptist inside her womb leaps with joy. And Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And so she blesses Mary. Do you notice something here? Despite the years and years of waiting that Elizabeth has had to endure, despite the ways that she has been shunned by society. Here, Elizabeth shows no hint of jealousy or competition with Mary. Mary was young. She was a teenager. She hasn't had to endure the struggles that Elizabeth had, had to. And God just grants her a child, and not just any child, the Son of God. Yet, Elizabeth is just grateful that she can encounter the unborn Jesus. And John leaps with joy. There is absolutely no hint of cynicism here. As she blesses Mary, she is filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you know the fruits of the Spirit, you'll know that one of them is joy. Because joy is born out of gratitude. Maybe you've known Jesus a long time in your own life. Maybe you're at the early stages, you've still got questions, you're still searching. I wonder what is your response to Jesus? to the name of Jesus. What is your response when we encounter the Savior of the world? Is it joy? Or is it weariness or fatigue? Do we really know who it is that we're encountering? Looking at these historical figures in the Bible and how they waited, what their attitudes were in the waiting, we can get a better picture of how we should wait in our own lives for the simple, the mundane, day-to-day -day stuff, but also for the big stuff. How we can choose to cling to hope in the waiting. How we can choose to hold on to gratitude and let that bring joy into our lives. When we encounter Jesus in our worship, in our questions, in our waiting, we can cling to him as our savior and our friend. I want to finish with this quote from a book called Seasons of Waiting. It's by Betsy Childs Howard. She says these words, which I found super helpful. The question remains... How can we wait well for a lifetime? If our waiting may not end in this life, how do we press on until the end? Maybe singleness is not so bad today, but can you bear it for the rest of your life? Maybe you have peace in the face of your cancer diagnosis, but where will you get the strength to cope with seemingly endless cycles of chemotherapy? If you feel like you don't have the fortitude for a lifetime of waiting, that's because God doesn't give grace in a lifetime supply. He provides it one day at a time. If you doubt that God has given you the capacity to endure your trial for a lifetime, you can rest assured that he hasn't. But he has given you exactly what you need to flourish today. With that knowledge, what attitude will we choose in our waiting?